I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 30th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a look at the severe weather sweeping through the state. Then, why Mississippi's NAACP is looking local when it comes to the American Rescue Plan at funds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Well, we're set to face a day of high winds and heavy rain here in the state. Logan Poole is a meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Jackson, and he joins us live to give us an update on what we can anticipate. Good morning, Logan. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Is it going to be a repeat of last Tuesday? People have been asking us that question quite a bit, and we're trying to underline a few differences. Yes, there's going to be impactful weather uh, for a lot of folks today. Uh, One thing that's significantly different is that, and as folks around probably are already uh, noticing as they're out and about uh, early this morning, uh, it's really gusty. A lot of winds out there already. Uh, We've got some south winds coming up from the Gulf of Mexico that's transporting uh, some some moisture that's going to fuel these thunderstorms later, and it's doing so pretty vigorously. So we're expecting winds to continue to increase through the morning into the early afternoon uh, ahead ahead of the storms now. So this is in the, the the clear air, if you will. And we could have gusts 55, maybe even 60 miles per hour with that, and that's enough to bring down trees and do some uh, damage to shingles and uh, lightly uh, light light structures too. So if you have anything that may be blown around, trampolines, loose garbage cans, uh, lawn furniture, things like that, uh, probably a good idea to secure those or bring those in if you can, uh, because we are expecting that. Now, after that happens, as we head closer to the to the noon hour and then particularly into the afternoon and early evening for portions of the eastern part of the state, uh, we should see uh, storms in a band-oriented, mostly north to south, progress across uh, the state. And that's going to bring uh, even higher winds, maybe as high as 80 miles per hour in some places. And that can do a little more damage, bringing down some of those larger trees and uh, maybe even uh, impacting some structures. So uh, that wind can be pretty uh, destructive in some ways. Uh, we do have a chance for tornadoes. We're not seeing as much evidence for um, as many tornadoes as we had last week. We actually had 27 tornadoes across our area in central Mississippi uh, in the uh, last week. Touchdown, uh, right? They didn't all touch right. down. 
That's right. We had 27 confirmed tornadoes in, in our area of responsibility that we have surveyed last week. And so we're not anticipating that sort of number or, or uh, that kind of coverage of tornadoes, but this high wind is really unusual in the way we're going to see it today. And so we do expect widespread impacts, even if we have a few uh, less tornadoes. And that doesn't mean to rule them out or anything. They're still possible, and we do expect a few, but not as many as last week, hopefully. Uh, it's possible we could get a strong tornado or two in there somewhere, uh, but it's not looking like the main threat. The primary thing today that we want everyone to focus on, uh, for the most part, is going to be uh, that wind threat. And the potential for power outages, sounds like. Oh, absolutely. And we could have power outages, like I said, even before uh, the storms themselves get here, as some of those gusty winds out of the south uh, could down trees across lines and things of that nature, uh, even cause difficulty if you're driving in some of those high-profile vehicles, especially as we head into the early afternoon. Uh, so that's the biggest thing we're concerned about at this time. Um, storms today, when they do arrive, are going to be moving very rapidly. And if we do happen to get tornadoes to develop within that line, uh, they could have a relatively short lead time in terms of those warnings. These things like to develop really quickly, and they dissipate really quickly when they come through in this fashion. So if you do get a warning, understand that uh, you may not have a ton of lead time, and the storm is moving very rapidly. So uh, take those seriously and move, act quickly. Uh, storms could be moving upwards of 60, 70 miles per hour off to the east and northeast today. The temperatures are in the 70s and up into the 80s. Do you anticipate any hail? You know, we don't have a lot of cold air aloft in the atmosphere for that hail to freeze. Um, and we're not expecting a lot of discrete storms, meaning storms that are off by themselves, and that can kind of encourage hail formation. So it's possible that we could get some really small hail, but we're not expecting much uh, to exceed perhaps as, as large as an inch in some places. Most places you're going to see, if you see hail, it's going to be peas, maybe dimes, things of that nature, smaller hail, and not necessarily too terribly damaging. Uh, of course, it uh, wouldn't be comfortable to get hit by even a, a, a penny piece of hail at 80 miles an hour. So again, you don't want to be outside in that. But as far as the destructive threat today, I really want to highlight that wind uh, threat so that folks are aware that uh, we could see, you know, we had a big severe weather event last week, um, and we're not expecting as many tornadoes this time, but we could see more people with more impacts just because of how widespread it could be. Will cool weather be coming in behind this? It'll cool off a little bit, but we're not going to see like a major uh, cold snap or anything like that. We're getting past the uh, the time of the year where we expect to see freezes and things of that nature. Uh, temperature is going to fall uh, down into the middle 40s for most folks, and maybe a couple of colder spots uh, could touch. Uh, well, 40s uh, is cool. So. 40s <laughs> is quite cool, but you know we actually had some. Uh, freezing weather a little bit later than we usually see uh, a week or a week and a half ago. So I don't want to put any alarm yet for folks who may be starting to get some of those plants in the ground, things of that nature. Uh, So we're going to get cool, but not too terribly cold. And then we should start to have some moderation fairly quickly. And uh, we'll be back uh, into uh, the 70s even by tomorrow afternoon, low 70s. And by the time you get Saturday, it'll be drier, uh, but we're still going to get close up to the upper 70s. So uh, it'll be a little bit cooler, particularly at night. Uh, but we're not going to see a too terribly uh, significant uh, chill afterwards. Well, meteorologist Logan Poole, we appreciate you so much. He is with the National Weather Service in Jackson and shared with us, gave us a really good update on what we can anticipate today weather-wise. Thank you so much, Logan. All right. Thank you. You guys stay safe. You too. Coming up, why Mississippi's NAACP is looking local when it comes to the American Rescue Plan Act funds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things listen to Fix It 101 podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. State legislators pass redistricting maps that dissolve some districts and expand others due to population shifts. MPB's Kobe Vance reports the new political lines put at least one incumbent in an uncomfortable spot. Members of the House and Senate have passed bills to redraw district lines for their respective chambers. Nearly every district received adjustments, with several facing significant changes or relocations. In the House, one Republican seat was dissolved as current District 20 Representative Chris Brown of Nettleton told fellow lawmakers he will not run for re-election. And House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez says the House map will unfairly preserve the state's Republican majority. The chairman is right. His plan does not reduce the number. It stays it keeps it at status quo at 42. But people of color make up close to 44 percent of this state. 42 districts is only 34 percent of the state. Let a redistricting plan reflect the population and the people of the state of Mississippi. Another Republican seat is being dissolved in the Senate's redistricting map, sparking heavy debate amongst the chamber's majority party. Parts of District 37, held by Republican Senator Melanie Sojourner, will be combined with District 36, held by Democratic Senator Albert Butler. District 36 will be relocated to create a new district in South Rankin and Smith Counties. Speaking on the Senate floor, Sojourner objected to this change, which would place her in a more competitive district. You stated a moment ago that the Delta had lost 65,000 people in population. I think it's over 65. So that is a little greater than a Senate district. So one would think if there was a need to collapse a district in the state, then it would probably occur in the area of the state where we lost 65,000 people. Supporters of both plans say the maps comply with both state and federal requirements and meet the population standards within 1%. Kobe Vance, MPB News. In recent weeks, we've heard a lot about how Mississippi's legislature will handle the more than $1 billion the state received as part of the American Rescue Plan Act. That state-level allocation is only one part of the complex chain of custody for the cash pumped out of Washington last year. And of course, at the top of the funnel, the federal government broadly controls where the funds go. But many American Rescue Plan projects are conceived and executed at the local level. That local spending is what interests Matthew Campbell. Campbell is a community organizer at the NAACP of Mississippi, and he tells Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane he's concerned municipal and county leaders aren't doing enough to make sure their new projects reflect community needs. So the Southern Economic Advancement Project, they developed a survey which they used to survey um, low-income residents across the South. And so they received over 600 responses from people in Mississippi about how their local government could prioritize American Rescue Plan funds. And so within that survey, they kind of outlined some of the, some of the eligible use categories that these funds can be applied towards. And so most people identified issues like affordable housing, um, utilities, food accessibility, and job training as, as some of the top issues in their community. 
And one of the the um, significant components of this survey is it asks people whether or not there had been any, been any outreach, any outreach activities conducted by their local elected officials, because the U.S. Treasury Department, which uh, administers um, the state, local, and fiscal recovery funds, encourages local governments to, to proactively engage their communities on their spending decisions. And so all of the respondents said that they hadn't been engaged, they hadn't been informed by their, their local governments on, on how these funds should be used and how these funds could address different issues in their community. And so uh, we're using the results from that survey, what community members across the, uh, the state had to say about different issues in their community. Um, we're using that to inform local elected officials so local elected officials can then be innovative and, and proactive in how they engage um, and how they involve their community members in the decision-making process when they begin to plan how they want to uh, spend uh, these American Rescue Plan funds. So the Southern Economic Advancement Project, who we've partnered with um, on, this, on the development of this toolkit, um, they also have a, a, a local spending tracker. And so far, they've been able to track 12 cities in the state of Mississippi, and those cities plan to use the majority of their funds for water and sewer and also revenue replacement. And the National League of Cities, um, they recently released a report that examines the spending decisions of 32 small cities from across the nation. Um, and the two largest spending categories for those cities um, is also water and sewer and revenue replacement. And so we, we just want to, you know, even though we, we, we know revenue replacement is, is, is vital for the operation of our cities um, and counties and, and water and sewer, and sewer that's a, a health issue. It's an equity issue. Um, but we also want to make sure that um, these funds are being applied to other critical needs in our community as well. And so we want to make sure that, um, that, that uh, our, our local governments recognize the nature of this investment and they utilize it as a time. Um, to invest in one of our most precious, precious resources, which is our people. So that's that's basically what we're, we're trying to do with the toolkit. Why local? You know, you, you know, you mentioned that this is really a report aimed at reaching local officials. We know that, of course, uh, local governments in Mississippi do have a certain amount of leeway in how some of these American Rescue Plan funds are spent. But really, the true Brinks truck is at uh, the state capitol, right? It's really the, the state legislature that has broad discretion to allocate billions in this funding. So, so why look local? Um, the, the reason why I think it's most important to kind of focus on, on this local element is because, you know, we're, we're in direct proximity to some of our local elected officials, right? You know, you might go to church with your mayor or with your a city council member or your board of aldermen or grew up with them, went to school with them, graduated from high school with them. And so I, I think that's why it's, it's so important to kind of focus on this because um, you look at a place like Jackson, um, over 40 million. Hines County also received over 40 million. So we're talking about, you know, about a $90 million investment um, between the city of Jackson and Hines County. And so for local folks, people that are from that community, that live in that community, um, for them to be involved in that process and kind of direct how that resource is spent on the local level, you know, we believe can be transformative uh, in being able to impact the day-to-day lives of, of people that live in these communities. You mentioned housing as being a major concern here, and I'm a little curious about that because, you know, when we think about places typically in America that we talk about as having housing crises, we think about places like 
New York, Boston, San Francisco, places that are very highly, you know, highly populated, these very dense cities. And in those particular cases, they're like literally peninsulas or islands where it's physically impossible to build out. Mississippi, a rural state, um, you know, the, the cost of real estate is relatively low. Is there a little bit of a chicken and egg issue here? Is it not so much the availability of land and housing, perhaps so much as it is the availability of good jobs and stable incomes in the state when we talk about a housing crisis and people's concerns about the, their access to housing? Yeah, I definitely, definitely think there's linkage between those issues um, because it's, it's more of affordability crisis for people in, in Mississippi, um, where, you know, you, you might not have the the same space issues that you have in a place like New York City, where it's more concentrated. You know, it, it's more of an affordability issue where you have a lot of people in the state of Mississippi that are cost burdened or severely cost burdened, right? And so it's, it's hard to afford rent and then afford all of your other necessities and be able to pay all of your other bills. And so that's kind of the, the crisis that we're in here in, in, in Mississippi. The, the U.S. Census does um, a household um, survey um, that they publish, I want to say, every month or so. And the state of Mississippi, this was back over the summer, the state of Mississippi had the, the highest housing instability rate um, in the nation. And that was for people that didn't think they would be able to afford their rent you know, over the next few months, right? That was the question that they asked them. Would you be able to afford rent over the next few months? Uh, and, and Mississippi, for some period of time, was the top-ranked state for that that question. You know, we've dropped some now the last time I checked. But, you know, so it's, it's an affordability problem for people in Mississippi. Earlier, you sort of hinted at maybe a little bit of frustration that cities are devoting so much of this spending to improving water and sewer infrastructure. Am I reading that correctly? Do you think that maybe there's a little bit of an overemphasis on those kinds of repairs um, instead of addressing perhaps more acute, immediately life and death needs like housing, food access, access to hospitals, etc.? Well, well, I, I wouldn't say there's an overemphasis on water and sewer because you know that that's a health, it's a health issue, it's an equity issue. Um, you know, we all deserve access to clean water. Uh, if I would say there was an overemphasis on anything, I would say revenue replacement. You know, and so I, my my message would be, and kind of I guess what we're saying is that you know don't don't devote ninety percent of your your funds, your your recovery funds, to revenue replacement when you're city or your county also has all of these other needs, right? When people are complaining about affordable housing or 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 employment opportunities, right? Now, uh, let me just, let so, me hold you up there for a second. Yeah. I think this sort of touches on an interesting point, sort of a philosophical yeah. point about this bill, which is that ostensibly this is a coronavirus recovery act. This is how it was billed. And this is, you oh. know, this, this is theoretically what it is. And also the survey asks respondents specifically about problems they experienced during the coronavirus pandemic. But the way you're talking about it, and frankly, the way the Mississippi legislature is talking about it and how everybody is talking about it seems to be that this is more, you know, that this is being colloquially interpreted more as a sort of broader social spending bill. Would you encourage local leaders? Because theoretically, when you're talking about replacing, you know, local coffers, that is, you know, that would have been money that local communities spent on testing or vaccination or whatever, you know, local COVID projects. And w- would you encourage these local governments to think about this less as a COVID relief bill and more as a broader social spending bill? 
Yeah, I mean, because I, I think the, the long-term consequences of, of this investment uh, could be transformative. And we, and we really don't know, um, you know, because I was telling somebody the other day that I don't want to say that this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime investment because I hope it's not. And, and so I think that we, we have to utilize this moment and leverage it as much as we can in the moment to view it as a, a, a as an investment that can help us address some of these systemic social and, and economic problems and disparities that we have in the state that have persisted for for decades. You know, we, we can kind of utilize these funds um, as a start to address some of those problems because we don't know uh, when we'll see an investment like this again. Um, where local governments um, in the state of Mississippi receive over $900 million from the federal government. And so, you know, I, I would kind of view it that way. And I think the U.S. Department of Treasury also views it that way um, because in their guidance, they talk about how this is a, 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 a program um, that can be used to address not only the impacts of the pandemic, um, but also to address folks that were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic um, because they were dealing with issues that predated the pandemic, right? And so how do you reverse those negative trends, people that were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic because they were dealing with pre-existing issues, um, which is why they encourage uh, local governments and states to use their funds to promote racial equity because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a critical component of what Treasury is saying these funds can be used for because, we have so many racial disparities in health, in, in income, in employment, in, in access to housing, uh, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I would describe it as a, as a broader social and economic program. Matthew Campbell is a community organizer at the Mississippi NAACP. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next... Next edition of Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio, and hopefully everyone will be safe through this storm. Have a good day.